0: Thank you, praise team and worship band, congregation. What a, isn't it great to feel the sweetness of the Holy Spirit as God is meeting with us? And we've gathered in the name of Christ around the word of God. It's wonderful. I love it. It's, I, lo, I, I look forward with great longing and anticipation Sunday by Sunday as we gather in the name of the Lord. I hope that you're reading your, uh, the Bible plan with us this year, if not, you can go to our website and access it. It's right there at the front of the website. Also, there's brochures in the foyer. And we're reading through God through the New Testament together this year. And so our preaching is coming from one of those texts. And so today, that is the case as well. And if you'll find with me the eighteenth chapter of Acts today. Acts chapter number eighteen is where we're going to begin and and really, Uh, Today, we're going to look in chapter number 18 and the beginning of chapter number 19. And this is about living by faith. It's about this fellowship that we have together in the Lord. And it's a question, the title of the sermon today, from the text. And it's a question that... Paul asked to some men, and uh, I took that as the title of the message today. And it's simply, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now today we're going to talk about some important important doctrinal issues, but more than that, it's about a personal relationship, your personal relationship to God, through Jesus Christ. This message is very important. I pray that you listen very carefully. One of the great spiritual f- of f- formers of in the United States that had super impact in a great awakening that happened in our country and in England was by a man, uh, the Lord used a man by the name of John Wesley. He and his brother Charles Wesley have been very instrumental. They wrote lots of hymns, but more than that, great preachers of the Word of God, men of God, powerfully used by the Spirit of God, and revival and reformation and renewal and the planting of churches happened as God worked in them. John Wesley's early life was, you would just suppose that he would become a man of God. He was a preacher's son. His dad was a pastor, Samuel Wesley. His mother was really well known as a godly and dedicated woman. Her name was Susanna Wesley. And so John and Charles grew up in a home of privilege in their upbringing. John attended Oxford University. He was uh, was an outstanding student. He became a double professor in Greek and logic at Lincoln College. He became an assistant to his father in his church, where he served. He was ordained into the gospel ministry. While he was in the university, he was a part of a group called the Holy Club at college. These were very serious, devout men that were seeking spiritual habits and disciplines of prayer and Bible study in their life and, and seeking the Lord. They, John Wesley was invited to go, and you know the story maybe, he was invited to go to the United States to, to serve as a missionary before it was the United States to America. And he was going to go to, um, as a missionary to Indians, and so he went to Georgia And it was an utter failure in the work that he tried to do. He beat himself up terribly because he felt like he failed at every point. And he was forced to return back to England. And as he was on the ship, he encountered some Moravians. And these Moravian men, they were were in, were in love with the Lord. And they had a spiritual depth about them. And it had a huge impression on his life. As he was on the ship returning home, he was so discouraged and defeated. He said, I went to convert the Indians, but alas, who will convert me? When he got back home to London, he looked up some of the Moravian leaders. And he said, I quote in his journal, he said, Clearly I was convinced of unbelief, of the want of that faith whereby alone we are saved. In his journal, the evening of May 24th, 1738, Wesley wrote, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate where one person was reading Luther's, preference, prefer, preface, Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. He says about a quarter of not till nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Jesus Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and the assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, And save me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley's warming was regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was a great student of the Bible and theology and missions, yet he did not know the saving power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was in the church but he was condemned and lost. Today, we're gonna look at a couple of cases, a couple of stories and episodes that happened around Ephesus, where men knew about Jesus, but didn't know him personally. The text today is chapter 18, beginning with verse number 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of Scripture, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And after he arrived, he was a great help to those who, by grace, had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public Demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled to the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now, there were about 12 men in all. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would confront us about our own relationship with you. I pray that you would convict us about where our faith rests. And Father, I pray that God, you would renew us in a vigorous pursuit to be the people of God. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, at the end of his second missionary journey, meets with, on that journey, a couple that are in the same, similar background to him. It's a Jewish couple, and they are skilled in the same skill that Paul had to make a living, in which was tent making. The couple's name was Aquila, that's the man's name, and his wife was named Priscilla. He meets them in Corinth, they're in Corinth because of a persecution that has taken place in Rome, and they've been kicked out of Rome, and now they're in Corinth. He meets them and he stays with them at their house. They take him in as a boarder into their own home. And he works with them and accompanies them. And they become strong believers in Jesus Christ. And they become partners with him in the ministry that is there in, in Corinth. They're there for a long time, a year and a half serving in Corinth and fellowshipping with one another. And God was using them powerfully. But then Paul feels the Spirit's leadership to head back toward home, toward Jerusalem. And on his way, he goes to Ephesus, and he's at Ephesus for a short visit. While he's in Ephesus, he takes along with him Aquila and Priscilla. And when he leaves Ephesus, he leaves them behind and then makes his way back to Jerusalem. He says, if the Lord's willing, I hope to come back to you at Ephesus again someday. And indeed he does. But while he is gone, Aquila and Priscilla are very importantly being used by by the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of these believers. And a man shows up, and that takes us to our story. In verse number 24, his name is Apollos. Apollos is a powerful figure. Now, I want you to notice this important case of Apollos. First of all, notice that he is a very gifted teacher. He's a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who's competent in the use of scriptures, and he arrived in Ephesus. Now, Apollos is from Alexandria. Where is that at? It's in the delta to the Nile River in Egypt. Alexandria was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was an urban center. It was famous for learning. One of the great learning centers in all of the world. It had a huge library, over 700,000 volumes. One third of the population of Alexandria was Jewish. It's there that the Hebrew Bible was translated into the Greek language. It was a great place of learning. The great scholar Philo was there, who was influenced by by the philosophy of Plato and, and incorporated that into philosophy and theology. He was an eloquent man, meaning he had great rhetorical skills. More than likely, a studied man like him had studied the rhetoric of Aristotle. He was a man who could use logic and reasoning. And then it says he was mighty in Scripture in verse number 24. This Apollos was not only a great speaker, great debater, great communicator, but he was mighty in the Scripture. John Broadus, it is told, who was one of the founders of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary that now is in Louisville, Kentucky. John Broadus was a great teacher of the Bible. A great Greek scholar, his son-in-law would become one of the greatest Greek scholars ever in Baptist life or any evangelical life, A.T. Robertson. John Broadus wrote what is still considered the finest book on preaching. And nine days before he died, he was teaching a class on preaching. And John Broadus looked at those young men in his class And he said, there are two things I want to impress upon you. Number one, true piety. That you would truly love God and live for him. And secondly, that you men would be like Apollos, mighty in the scripture. And then he leaned into them, leaned over his desk. And he said, as only us could do, that you might be mighty in scriptures. Mighty in scripture. Mighty in scripture. Apollos was that kind of man. A great teacher, a gifted teacher. But he was also a godly teacher. Notice in verse number 25. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit, and he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus. He preached about the way of the Lord. He was fervent. He was burning with passion, and he spoke accurately, but he was a flawed teacher, even though he was was a godly person in many ways, even though he was mighty and powerful. Yet he was flawed, and here's the flaw: who picks up the flaw? Priscilla and Aquila, her husband, and all he says it says in verse into verse 25. Although he knew only John's baptism, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So now uh, Priscilla and her husband Aquila are there, and they hear him, and they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more. Accurately, Hmm. You see, as Aquila and Priscilla are listening to Paul, I think this husband and wife looked at each other and said, You know, that guy is eloquent. That guy is powerful. That guy knows the scripture. Man, he can debate and he can teach. And he says so many things that are so right about the Lord, but there's something missing. And she says, Yes, I think there is something missing. And they invite him to their home. And they began to teach him. You see, the problem is he only knew about John's baptism. There was something missing in his preaching. It wasn't quite complete. And so Priscilla, along with her husband, bring them into their home. And she and her husband carefully, politely, lovingly, but much more carefully, teach him. And here's something great about Apollos, he was an humble learner, he listened closely, and he was convinced. You see there's a difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. What's the difference? Well, John the Baptist preached a a baptism of repentance. John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus the Messiah. John the Baptist was like the last of the Old Testament prophets. And so John the Baptist comes, says, turn from your sin and turn toward God. A day of reckoning is coming. God knows how you're living. You need to repent and turn to God. That's an important part of preaching, right? And he says, but he said his ministry was a preparing of the way of the Lord. Turn from sin and confess your sin. The Messiah is coming. I am not the Messiah. I'm pointing to the Messiah. And I baptize with water, but He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was from the Old Covenant, Jesus is the New Covenant. The baptism of Jesus, the baptism, Christian baptism versus. John's baptism is Christian baptism is in the name of Jesus Christ. Christian baptism is remembering the work of Jesus Christ. That Christ lived a perfect life. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried and Christ rose again victoriously. That's different than John's baptism. It's as a new life in Christ and the old Tim is dead and buried and a new Tim lives with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. It's the washing away of my sin and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has raised me from death into life. It's a new covenant. It's a different. And whenever Apollos understood this, he became even more mighty evangelist. And sometime later, the churches in Achaia, that is Corinth, that, that he, he wanted to go to Corinth, and, and Corinth was to receive him. And when he went to Corinth, God used him mightily as an evangelist, powerfully, and had great impact. So much so, the apostle Paul He commends Apollos. He says to the church at Corinth, now it's it's your immaturity is part of the problem in 1 Corinthians 3. Some are saying, I'm of Paul. Others saying, I'm of Apollos. He said, don't you know that we're just servants of the Lord? I planted, Apollos watered, but God's the one that gives the increase. So he says, there's no competition between me and Apollos. We're both preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The second story, case study, if you will, it begins in chapter number 19. Now, Dr. Luke kind of ties these stories together. And chapter 19, beginning with verse number 1, it says, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul is now traveling back through Syria, up into Turkey, Asia Minor. He's making his way to, toward the, through the Lycus River Valley down toward Ephesus, and he's coming back on another missionary journey. And so it's been months and months since they've seen Paul has been in Ephesus, but he's coming back. And when he comes back, he encounters some men. Notice in chapter 19, verse number 1, And he came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. Now they're called disciples here. Paul assumed that they're disciples of Christ, of the Lord Jesus. They're At least they are learners, they're followers, they want to know. But Paul realizes there's something kind of different. There's something missing in these boys' life, their understanding of the truth. So he asked some diagnostic questions of them. And the first diagnostic question is found in verse number two. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Well, then he asked him another question. Into what then were you baptized? And they answered, into John's baptism, they replied. Now, these Jewish young men had been dispersed. They had heard of John, heard of the preaching of John. They had heard that he was a forerunner to the coming of Christ. And they heard that maybe that Jesus was Messiah. But they had only been baptized in the baptism of John. And they have not received the Holy Spirit. And this is the problem. Many people know about Jesus. They know about repentance. But they don't know Jesus personally. And Paul realizes this. And so Paul says in verse number 4. Look, look at his corrective teaching. It's really evangelism. He, he surmises that these boys are lost. They got religion but they're lost. And so in verse number 4, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people they should believe in the one who would come after him. And that's in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. You need to receive Christian baptism. You need to realize your salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. In the work of Jesus Christ and his work alone, the Christ died for your sins, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again. The Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. The Christ is now King of Kings, Lord of Lords. There is no other name like his name, and your salvation can only be found in Jesus Christ. And these boys are saved powerfully. It's a dramatic conversion. Then they are baptized with water. And Paul lays his hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes. And they are baptized in the Spirit of God. And it manifests itself in in speaking in other languages. and, And prophesying. There was evidence that God was at work in them. I'm going to take just a moment and say, chase a rabbit with you for just a moment. This is the first and really only time we see rebaptism taking place in the Bible. Why would you want to be rebaptized if you've already been baptized? Well, there's no reason to be rebaptized. Every time that you think you've sinned and strayed away from God, you need to get baptized again. No. But there are times when rebaptism is right. Amen. And time that rebaptism is right is when the first baptism's invalid. And it's invalid if it has the wrong meaning attached to it. The baptism of John, while not bad, Jesus submitted to that baptism. It's not Christian baptism, as we already talked about. So, so they had received only that baptism, but now they're rebaptized in Jesus' name, which is Christian baptism. And you could have the wrong meaning attached to your baptism. Maybe you thought it was the way for you to be saved. Maybe it was just so you could become a member of the church. Or maybe you thought that by getting wet in the water that that would make you a Christian. That's the wrong meaning attached to it. But sometimes it could be the wrong mode. You were baptized by the wrong mode of baptism. The mode of baptism is immersion in water. It's being dipped, plunged underneath the water. It's a picture of death, burial, resurrection. It also might have the wrong order. Baptism comes after salvation, not before salvation. You're saved and then baptized. Conversion, then salvation. Never is it you're baptized in the hope that you will be saved. You are saved and then you're baptized. When be baptized? As soon as you believe. Don't delay. Be baptized. How? In but in water by immersion in the name of Jesus as a public declaration of your faith and trust that Jesus died Jesus was buried and Jesus alone rose again and salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus. It's your new life in Christ. It's who you are now. The old is dead and the new has come and you're alive by the work of God in your heart and life. In the book of Romans, chapter number 6, a text that we often read in conjunction with baptism, listen to it. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly be in the likeness of a resurrection. Knowing this, our old self was crucified with him, that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who's died is freed from sin. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Finally, there's the personal case of our own lives. Now, I want you to look at these diagnostic diagnostic questions and i think about them together for a few minutes. The first question was, have you been born of the spirit that's a question for all of us have you been born by the spirit paul asks it this way did you receive the holy spirit when you were baptized these boys knew nothing about the holy spirit so paul preaches to them but the question is for you today is have you been born of the spirit you see jesus said You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born from above, born of God. You can't save yourself. This is a divine work of God in your heart. You can't cause yourself to be convicted of sin. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't cause yourself to be sorrowful of sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You You can't repent of your sin. By yourself, because that's the work of the Spirit in you. The turning from sin and turning to Jesus Christ as Savior. You can't understand who Jesus really is until God's Spirit begins to work in you. And you see yourself in your brokenness. And you turn to him and you see him in all of his beauty and glory. And you see that he died for you on the cross. And that he loved you. And his life was poured out for you. And he was buried in a grave and... Thought to be dead and did die, and God raised him up, and he defeated death. And Jesus Christ is King and Lord. There's salvation found in no one else, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, causing us to be born anew, regenerate, new in Christ. Second question is in whom or what are you trusting for your salvation? John, uh, Paul asked them, what name were you baptized by? What authority? In, wh- 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 whom, in whom were you baptized? Whose name? And that's an important thing. Who are you trusting for your salvation? Folks, I wish you, please listen to me today. If you think trusting in your church will get you to heaven, that's not true. Amen. If you think trusting in a denomination will get you to heaven, you, that's not true. Amen. If you think you can be saved because of your parents' faith, you cannot. Or your friends have faith. Or maybe a, a gaggle of you came forward in a church service and your other buddies got baptized and you did too. But you don't know if you have a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not that, yeah, that's my tradition. My tradition, as I go to church, and I got baptized. It, no, it's not about a tradition. It's about a living relationship in whose name, by whose work, who are you trusting in? And I'm telling you, oh, there's only one that can save you, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Peter was preaching, we quoted it a while ago. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. There's salvation in no one else. The third question is Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? Don't delay today. Be baptized. Surrender your life to Him. The other question I want us to ask in this text is Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? With these men, they, God's Spirit moved on them in such a powerful way, demonstrating that God had worked in their hearts. They spoke with other languages, they began to prophesy. Similar to Cornelius, except the order's a little different, isn't it? Peter was preaching, and then the Holy Spirit falls, and then Peter said, who can hold back baptism since God's already worked in their life? It was different with Lydia, wasn't it, that we looked at last week? For Lydia, the evidence wasn't speaking in tongues and prophesying, but it was the Lord opened her heart to hospitality. Come into my home. Stay with us. How about the jailer? He believed. His family's baptized. He's washing the disciples' wounds. They prepare a meal and hospitality. They eat together. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit has worked in their life. What evidences? Are manifest in your life. Did you know if the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life. He makes a difference in your life. I'm just going to run through a list of things that he does for us. We won't look up all the scripture verses. You can see them online. But number one. He comforts us. When the Holy Spirit of God has come into your life, he's the paraclete. He is the comforter. He's the advocate. He's the one that's called alongside of you and helps you. When you don't know how to get through life, you know that the Holy Spirit is with you. And he is your refuge. And he is your strength. And he's with you. And he never forsakes you. And he strengthens you. anybody in this room want to give a testimony today that I know that the Spirit of God is helping me get through my life today? Amen. Amen. Secondly, he convicts us. Anybody ever feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life? He convinces us about what is right and not right. He convinces us about who Jesus is. He convicts, does a convicting work, not condemning, but a convicting work in our life. Does the Holy Spirit ever say to you, that attitude stinks? Stinks. Are Anybody else awake in here? Am I the only one that knows this? That holding on to that bitterness is not right. What do you really believe about grace? He not only convicts us, he guides us. He is in us, he's with us, and he guides us. He guides you in ways your GPS could never guide you. Amen. You can say, hey, Siri, how do I live a righteous life? She can't help you or he. I have mindset to a British kind of voice. Drives Christy crazy. Different than Alexa, the spirit of God dwells in you. And he intimately walks with you. And he guides you. And he's bearing witness in your heart that you're his child. The Holy Spirit evidences His self, Himself in you by bearing fruit in your life. Fruit that looks like Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit teaches us the words of Jesus. Gives us the power to live a transformed life. And listen to me. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in your life. The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. Kindness and goodness. And faithfulness and gentleness. And self-control. These are the character traits of christ himself and here's what happens with a spirit filled when we're walking spirit filled in the spirit the spirit of the lord jesus starts bearing fruit in our life and we start acting like living like relating to others like jesus wow He gifts us. He gifts us with speaking gifts, serving gifts, administrative gifts, leading gifts. All for the building up of his church and the expansion of his kingdom. You're in God's gifted plan. I've never been in anybody's gifted program in my life. But now I'm gifted by the Holy Spirit. Not for any boasting, but for the work of his church. He gives them a ministry power. When the spirits come upon you, you receive power. Power to be a witness in a broken world. Anybody here need the Holy Spirit's power in your life? Yeah. And finally, he gives you security. Security that you're a child of God. There's so much insecurity and fearfulness and anxiousness in this world. But the Spirit himself bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Amen. And nobody can steal that away from me. Well, these brothers didn't know that until that day. And their lives were forever changed. How about you? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you trusting him alone? John said, he who has the Son has life but he who has not the son has not the life the life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone Father in heaven thank you for your word it's powerful and true convicting and comforting correcting oh Father I pray that today if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that today they would just simply say, I want Jesus. I want want him to be my master, my king, my Savior. I believe that he died for me and he rose again. I believe that he and he alone can save and that he is the Son of God. And I submit to him as Lord of my life. Oh, God, save me. And Father, I'll be baptized in his name. And I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Lord, have your way in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.